This is the Sound the Foghorn Podcast. And a shot by Hayda. Spurgeon's in. Delays. Shoots one. He scores! Jared Spurgeon has tied it. Your number one podcast for the Minnesota Wild. Proud to select with the ninth pick in the 2020 draft from the Ottawa 67s of the OHL, Marco Rossi. Covering their prospects, the NHL, AHL, news, notes, and much more. Fiala's in for Minnesota. Fiala cuts to the middle. Wade scores! Here comes Parisi. Hustling over Shaq. Turk got a piece of a Parisi score! Here's poked away Kaprizov. In for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill the thrill. Now, here are your hosts. Brett Marshall, Zeke Boya, and Justin Buck. Hello, and welcome in to episode three, season three of Sound the Foghorn podcast. At the time of this recording, the Minnesota Wild have opened the season with three wins and a loss. Zeke, man, how does that make you feel? Uh, well, I mean, so far, so good. I mean, there's been a, you know some struggle points, and the games haven't exactly been perfectly pretty. And In fact, you could probably argue their best game was the one they lost. But uh, no, I'm just uh, happy to have hockey back, happy to have games to watch, happy to have a bunch of stuff to talk about uh, here coming up today. Well, happy to have you as my co-host, as always. But let's check in with our friend Justin as well. Dude, how you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Just, uh, you know, just start of a long work week and got the kids to bed and ready to talk about uh, the first four games and beyond. All right, but we've, yeah, that's that's going to be the plan of the show. Meat and potatoes, of course, will be the wild tonight. But uh, because of a lapse on my part, uh, we did not have a prospect update mm-hmm. last week. So we'll have Justin uh, tune us in into what's been going on across college hockey, European hockey, and everywhere else uh, with uh, with the Wild prospects. So, Justin, the floor is yours. All right. Well, college hockey has been kind of funky this year. It's <clears throat> almost like the, the games, like, usually they play every weekend, but now it's kind of, like, kind of sporadic. I mean, it's still on the weekends. But anyways, um, we'll kind of start uh, with college hockey and uh, kind of the, the Boston College prospects kind of had a – they had a good weekend uh, – it was last weekend where Nestoranko had a, a couple points in a game-winning goal. Um, another thing to note about the uh, Boston College team is they're now ranked number one in the country. So, you know, we got the four wild prospects on that team. And you know, Who, Who's great. number two, by the way? Um, God, I haven't looked. Oh, it's the – it might, oh, might it's, be Mankato. Oh, Mankato, yeah, Mankato. I did look today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had to throw that in there quick. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my team is <laughs> sitting at seven, but it's uh, – it's the ranking at the end of the season that matters. Way true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll continue on uh, a little bit with the college hockey, but uh, Vladislav Firstov played his first uh, couple games in the college season after the World Juniors, and he picked up uh, a five-point weekend against New Hampshire. Ended up with a, a four-point game the first night where he scored two goals, two assists, and then uh, – yeah, uh, one assist the next night. So he's he's starting off. Perhaps some recognition coming for him later on. 
Yeah, definitely. And then, uh, let's see, Philip Johansson. How about him? Yeah. Great. Eight points over his last 11 games. He's really starting to, to heat up. Um, he's shooting the puck a lot more. He's had, uh, in those 11 games, uh, 35 shots on goal total. So, you know, he's always been known as kind of a defensive defenseman, but his offense seems to be picking up too. So, you know, eight of his 10 points on the season have come within the last 11 games. Love and, to see it. Yeah. Maybe uh, maybe Fenton was right about him. We'll see how he continues to develop. Oh, man. Watch mm-hmm. him just be a lay bloomer. Yeah. yeah. Be nice. <laughs> yeah. Everyone it'd be good for a while. We could use the defensive prospects, but, man, it'd, yeah. be, it'd be kind of funny. I'm rooting for him. I hope so. Mm-hmm. Me too. Agreed. And then uh, Guskov, Matt, Matt Bay Guskov, he's playing, he was playing in the MHL, which is the, the minor league team for – CSKA in the KHL. He had a three-assist game, their last game they played, and then today he actually got called up to the big club. And he, I don't know how many minutes he ended up playing, but but he was playing with the, the KHL team today. And then uh, the last uh, update I have on prospects really is Alexander Hobanov played uh, played today. He had two goals and ended up scoring the game-winning goal for Bars in the the VHL. So. You know, some pretty good news on, on some of these prospects here. Yeah, it seems to be maybe after a long time off, some of them are finally starting to kind of maybe find their footing and mm-hmm. get back into uh, the rhythm of things for sure, which is right. just good. We love to see our uh, our players doing well. So, All right, Zeke, any any other reactions here without giving uh, too much away for a later segment on uh, any, any of the prospects or just want to kind of save the conversations for uh, what we might be doing later? Yeah, I think it should be a good idea to save it for later. All right, so stay tuned. We do have a new segment coming up at the end of the show uh, where we'll recognize some of these uh, outstanding performances uh, from prospects and maybe uh, some other players as well. But before we get to that, uh, I'm going to introduce our second segment of a few minutes of analytics. Uh, Today's uh, advanced stat or metric, if you will, is game score, which you uh, probably have seen me tweeting about um, quite a bit since the season started. a stat developed by Dom Luschijan, um of The Athletic. Um, basically, it's it's his version of war, um, and he has a really nice explanation for it, so I'm pretty much just going to read it uh, word for word to explain kind of what it is, what goes into it. Um, I think it'll it'll make a lot more sense once you hear this, and then uh, we can talk about it if you see if you guys have any questions. Sound like a plan? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. <clears throat> so game score, similar to war, as I mentioned, is a linear weight model that waits for each stat within it being derived according to the frequency of goals occurring from them. And they include things like goals, primary assists, secondary assists, uh, individual expected goals, which is probably what I'll talk about next week, um, block shots, penalty differential, face-off differential, um, expected goals for, goals for, expected goals against, goals against uh, for both forwards and defense, and then five-on-five five five goal differentials. So basically... When a player is on the ice, how is he contributing to the potential of goals happening for his team and against him is the really high-level overview. And then each of those items has a weight assigned to it. So, for example, uh, a goal has more weight than a secondary assist. So if you score, it's going to have more positive value than an assist. Um, and then, so goals, assists, primary assists, um, expected goals against for forwards, and expected goals for for defense, and then defensive goals against um, have the five items that carry the highest weight. Um, so those things will affect 
um, the score the most. And then uh, so basically when translating this to uh, GSVA, which are very similar, uh, GSVA is a projection. Game score is the actual result from a game. Um, GSVA takes the last three years of data, um, uses a, a recency thing, has some regression models in it, and then basically pr- produces a projection based on what's happening and what has happened. So um, that's pretty much the high-level overview. Um, and then uh, Dom says in relation to his replacement rate, so that replacement level, um, when you're ranking among all the players, um, the 372nd ranked forward and the 186th ranked defenseman is his replacement level. So that value for him might not necessarily be zero. It's whoever ranks uh, at that spot. So that's a really high level of game score. Basically, it's a good way just to look at, you know, who really helped a team win or may have, you know, contributed to, not necessarily a loss, but maybe some, when that player's on the ice, they're more liable uh, for a goal. Does that kind of make sense at a really high level? Yeah. 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 And I think it's, you know, I think just the kind of nice thing is, I mean, like you're saying, it's a, way to getting a sense of, you know, who's, uh, you know, was helping, you know, having the biggest uh, positive impact on the team and biggest negative uh, in a certain game. And it's just been kind of cool the last few games to kind of, you know, look at those numbers. And, you know, sometimes they can be kind of different or the same of, uh, you know, what you actually see while watching the game. So it's, uh, I found it pretty interesting from that point. Yeah. And it was, it was surprising to me when I was looking at this, the six worst players on the wild in the last game based on game score. Uh, were, you know, some of the Wild's best players. Kevin Fiala, Zach Parisi, and then all four of the top four defensemen. Uh, yeah. Those were the bottom six forwards, um, which is pretty, you know, it's not ideal yeah. Yeah, uh, when no, your top four defense and you're basically, right. you're, you're arguably two of your three best wingers are, you know, on the ice mm-hmm. and are producing a, a negative game score. But all players are going to have a bad game. And the good news is, is that, you know, when the best players had an off night, the depth stepped up. We saw it from Real Eric's neck. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ian Cole and Carson Soucy were actually great. Uh, Ian Cole had a wonderful debut. I mean, you didn't, you didn't mm-hmm. see much out of him, but his defensive impact was great. Mm-hmm. Um, was on the ice for one of the Wilds' three goals. So, you know, it's, it's just a good way to look at things different. Um, on my account, I'll be tweeting out game score stuff. There's lots of information about it, different ways to visualize it, as well as some other advanced stats. And we'll kind of go through all the stats that are on that sheet. So like I said, individual expected goals, which is a really fun stat to learn about. Mm-hmm. Um, what we talked about next week, um, the Wild have some players right now, and Kevin Fiala and Yul Eric Chenek that are actually among the league leaders uh, in that metric. So, um, yeah. So that's game score. Hopefully it makes a little more sense. Um, again, just the important thing to remember is there's a lot that goes into it um, that has weights. Um, I did tweet out the link to Dom's article where you can read more about it and more about the weights and how it all gets calculated. But figured that'd be too confusing to verbally um, explain, but yeah. So that's that. Um, let's jump in now uh, to the wild. Uh, lots to break down here. Uh, last time we talked, they had just played one game. Um, Kirill Kaprizov basically blew all of our faces off with a with the view of a century. Um, and I think he, he came back down to earth a little bit and showed he's human. I think that yeah. his second game was kind of a, a wake-up call, had some had some bad turnovers, but then got to overtime and looked like a god again and set up the game-winning goal. So uh, let's talk about him first, our impression now, uh, after four games of uh, Kirill Kaprizov. Uh, Zeke, let's kick it to you first. Just your thoughts on uh, what the rookies brought to the team, uh, team-leading five points mm-hmm. uh, through the first four games as well. 
Well, I mean, uh, like like you said, the first game was uh, probably his best game so far, and uh, not much has changed for me personally. But I mean, you still see obviously the skill and the smarts. And I mean, last night uh, in the game against Anaheim, he you know he got the puck kind of the kind of the blue line of their own end, then blew by a couple defensemen and turned to Kevin Shattenkirk inside out and kind of created a partial breakaway for himself. He didn't he didn't score obviously, but he did. Uh, you know, with the speed, he drew a penalty, and I don't know. It's just. You know, like there's not much else. I don't think I can say that's different. I mean, he's still, like, like Brett said, he's still had he had a couple turnovers. I think he's had a penalty or two in there. Where obviously, you know, it's like you know those are rookie mistakes. Those are going to happen. But uh, to be honest, I think, and we'll talk about this. I think I'm assuming a little bit later, kind of in the show. But more of my uh, frustrations, I guess, with him have been uh, more related to uh, his, you know, line mates and specifically uh, at the center position as a whole, and then more so himself, who I think is as a player has just been uh, pretty much what I ex- had expected for the last couple of years now. Yeah. And I think it was you that actually brought this up on Twitter. One thing um, that we would maybe like to see him do a little bit more, especially in the power play, just be a little more selfish. Oh um, yeah. Mm-hmm. He only has seven shots on goal through yeah. the first three games or four games, excuse me, including yeah. none uh, last night against Anaheim. And it just seems like he, and obviously like you said, the one he had a breakaway and was slashed and couldn't get a shot off. But it just seems like there's times where maybe it seems like the team's really trying to force things to Kevin Fiala. And mm-hmm. I think the Kaprizov feels like he's obliged to try to find Fiala on the power play. And there's times where he could just shoot a little bit more. I think if he, he could get up to maybe three, four shots a night, I think that's maybe more in the realm of where we'd like to see him. He's a great passer, but he's mm-hmm. got a great shot too. And he did ring one off the crossbar too, which doesn't count yeah. um, as a shot last night as well. So mm-hmm. maybe could have arguably had two last night, but, yeah. but nonetheless, maybe I'd like to see some mm-hmm. more shots out of Kaprizov. And to be fair, I just one more thing is that, uh, you know, with the kind of deferring to Kevin Fiala thing, which you, you just brought up there, but does it, I think that's something that the whole team has been doing too, it seems like. You know, a lot, you know, they've been, he's been set up kind of on that uh, right side trying to take the one timers, but, uh, you know, no, it's, it, it'll get better. Oh, yeah. Definitely. You, Justin, do yeah. you have anything to add? I mean, you guys kind of summed it up pretty well, but just, you know, we're kind of seeing some of the, the, you know, growing pains maybe of, of playing in the best league in the world. You know, we still see his skill and, and all that, especially with, you know, like Zeke said, that that one-on-two where he, he drew the penalty, just he could have be having a bad game and then just, just do something like that and give us a chance to, you know, at a power play or a nice setup or a nice shot on goal or something. It just, you know, not much has changed with me with him, but we are going to see those growing pains. And I think uh, what Justin said there is a really good point is that uh, it's been since Marion Gabrick where, like Justin just said, the Wild have not had a player since then where, you know, that he'd be either, he'd either be not having a good game or the team would be having a good game. And, you know, all, like Justin just said, it, all it would take is a one play or one shift for them to change the outlook of the game. So, uh, no, that's that's also a very good thing. Yeah, and it seems like every time he's on the ice, something's happening, whether it's mm-hmm. a Wild opportunity, it might be, a te- uh, you know, some opportunity for the other team. Um, lots of goals being scored both ways when he's on the ice, both a good and a bad thing. Obviously, you'd like those goals against to come down, but I think you know as as he learns, you know tendencies of the NHL in comparison to KHL. I think we'll see him get better uh, defensively, and because I, 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 I think he does have really good defensive instincts, I think he's going to be applying those to a little bit different style and on a little bit smaller sheet of ice than what he can and can't do um, as well. So another thing. another thing we could maybe point to to this. You know, maybe this might be more so for Kevin Fiala and just maybe the Wild Ford as a whole, but the center problem is is a problem. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. All hats off to Ewell Eriksson Eck, who's right. been just 
absolutely terrific through four games. I mean, yes, Kirill Kaprizov leads with five points, but I think it's hard to argue that Yul Eriksson hasn't been the Wild's best forward. Um, two goals and an assist already. Um, he's driving offense at an incredible rate. His expect his individual expected goals, um, I believe Tony Abbott tweeted out, is the fifth highest mark in the mm-hmm. NHL behind some really talented forwards. Mm-hmm. Um, his expected goals for percentage is north of 70%, which is absurd. He's had a positive game score in all four games. I think he's been the Wild's best forward in two of the four games via game score. Like he, Just everything he's doing is, is great. And I think we talked about last week about you know maybe not breaking up that third line, but I think I've pivoted. I think it might be time to break up the third line and, and give Eric Snack some real minutes. Um, right now he's averaging just 16 minutes of ice time a night, and I think we need to get that closer to maybe 19, 20. Well, and you saw, like, at first I thought it was a, a line swap, but it was just Kaprizov on a long shift, that, that game-winning goal against the Ducks. That, they, they looked really good on that tic-tac-toe pass, Greenway, um, Kaprizov, and Eck, and you just – yeah, we already, already talked about Kaprizov, but he's got a point in all the, the game-winning goals so far. Just I'd like to see him play with Eck more. I think it might be something fun. I'd like I liked that line period. I think it's right. it's got elements that you want out of a good line. You got, you know, a threat to score, you've got a big body to create space down low, and you've got a guy that can crash a net and be responsible in the defensive zone. Yeah. Yeah, I think that line would be fun to try. Why not? Right. And Parisian Fiala aren't going, so I and you know, when they when Fiala was going last year it was with Parisi, I'd like to see those two reunited, mm-hmm. which means you gotta make some swaps and I think you can throw whoever you want in the middle there, maybe Bonino or Sturm or whoever. But on an at Green Kaprizov line, I think is something worth trying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I definitely agree. And like to Justin's point, I believe uh, it was like, this was a couple of years ago now. But I think at the 2017 World Juniors uh, and as in a couple other places, I remember hearing uh, in some interviews, uh, former GM Chuck Fletcher and other people have said that uh, Kaprizov and Eric Sinek uh, kind of you know have a little bit familiar each other with some of those international tournaments they played together at. And I've seen some other things that have kind of indicated that. So I mean, like you guys said. Uh, what my other thought is that what what can it really hurt? I mean, it's mm-hmm. it can't go any worse really, or it'll pro- at least at the worst it'll be the same as any other guys at the top line. And really, like I get that they don't want to break up their best line, which right now, which is probably the third line. But you know, in my opinion, if you're relying on your third line being your best line every game consistently for now, I think that's a, a, a not as in, ins- insignificant problem. And I just it just kind of pains me to think that, you know, I, I just don't agree with, uh, I just think they need to do what's best to help get their top guys going and have those guys playing well than it is just, to, and, and avoid that just to keep the third line going as great as it has been. Because really when it comes down to it, uh, those top two lines, the guys like Kaprizov and Fiala and Parisi are the ones who are going to win you the games. And, uh, you know, I just think uh, he just needs, like you guys said, he just needs to get a shot there at least. Right. Yeah, and it's hard to believe the Wild are three and one, and Spurgeon, Parisi, and Fiala have a combined zero points. Yeah, um, that's that's far from ideal. What I mean, it's good they're winning, but I I think you need to see something to switch up there to maybe get those guys going. And Parisi and Fiala seem to feed off each other well. I, I think are able to reunite. And one thing I will note as well is they had off days um, following both their games against Anaheim. Um, or I think leading into the first game against Anaheim and then after the Anaheim game, mm-hmm. uh, they haven't had practice. So they basically haven't had practice since oh. L.A. Um, so I think that might be factoring into why we haven't seen maybe any line changes mm-hmm. yet. 
but I would not be shocked to maybe see some something different tomorrow um, when they come home against San Jose um, with maybe a, a practice. Um, yeah. yeah, and I just I guess just another kind of thing I just thought of that you know. I get the players. They obviously won't say anything. Like if they if they eventually start to get frustrated with you know the the you know the quality of the team they have or whatnot. And obviously, because you know you, you want to be a team guy, you would never actually think that. But I just wonder. This this is kind of a little bit of a different point, but I just wonder how long it is until you know some of the Wild's top wingers like uh, in Prisov, Fiala, Prezi, How long it is till they start to get frustrated when you know every game they're going out there and Victor Ask is there center on the top line and I mean no offense he Victor Ask is not a terrible hockey player I don't think he's as bad as you know since because of the trade and all that and the all Paul Fenton and all that stuff I think he's fine I think he can be okay when he's on the fourth line but it just it just is painful to watch sometimes and no offense to him at all to to watch him try to keep up on the first line with his guys it's just so hard to watch right yeah he's a yeah, the IQ it doesn't match either no yeah no it doesn't He's not a bad player, but he's not a, a first or second line player like we're using him. And you know, like you mm-hmm. said, it's part of what we have and what we're working with. And, you know, we're, I mean, I feel like we're in a transition year and, and on the right track. And maybe Marco Rossi is someone that ends up in that spot, probably. But, you know, I think like last show, I think we said, you know, let's try Rask up there. And I think that experiment needs to end. I think yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't really want to break up uh, that fourth line right now either. They look pretty good with with Sturm and Hartman and uh, Brainfart. Um, uh, Bukestead. Bukestead. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's what it was. They 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 played really well, and you know Hartman got that shorthanded goal. But I I just think that Rask experiment on the top six needs to to go now. Yeah, Rask has a negative game score in all three games since being promoted to that first line. Um, yeah. Basically got a gift from Kaprizov in that first game that he... I, I still think it was a really lucky goal because if you watch the slow-mo yeah. replay, he, like, waits, and then by the time he shoots it, there's, like, basically three guys standing in front of the net, and it, you know, hits, like, two shin pads and then bounces off the goalie's pad and, like, mm-hmm. trickles through the five hole. Like, it was a complete sheer luck. Oh, yeah. um, his play driving numbers are all quite poor. And I think that when you did things like that too, it's going to, and we've talked about that's going to drag down Kaprizov too, because his numbers aren't that bad. But when you're playing with a guy that just can't think the game the way that you do, it's just, it's not, it's not ideal. So, mm-hmm. you know, and if you've listened to Michael Russo, especially his most recent uh, podcast, it doesn't sound like Marco Rossi is particularly close to being ready at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it might get to the point where he might not play for the the wild at least this season. Um, just because by the time he is ready, it's not going to make sense. I mean, he might still get the, the six game trial, but mm-hmm. I don't think a full time role is going to be in play for him. So, if you're the wild, do you have to maybe look at acquiring a top six center in some way? Do you have to? Is this where you swing for the fence on a guy like Pierre Luc Dubois, or do you just kind of ride it out and just? You know, say, hey, we're gonna we're gonna play for the draft pick and just work with what we got and and keep just swapping around the hot hand. What, what do you guys think is the best course of action here going forward Honestly, for this season? I think at any point where you can acquire a, a top six center, you, you go ahead and do it, whether it's this year in a transition year or in the off season. I just I think if the opportunity presents itself, you have to jump on it because they're hard to find and we're we're starving down the center like really badly. 
Yeah, and I, I agree with Justin, too. I think, uh, you know, they probably doesn't seem likely that they'll or it doesn't seem like they're too much in on a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois for a variety of reasons. But uh, as Justin said, if, if there ever is an opportunity, you at least have to pick up the phone and make a call. Uh, you know, obviously, the prices to make those kind of trades could be significant in terms of either a player off your roster or even some prospects. So, you know, obviously, you have to consider that, too especially when it's, it seems like like we've mentioned a couple of times that they seem to be in a transition year and kind of just trying to ride the they seem to want to ride out and Bill Guerin does with kind of with the guys they got and give them the opportunity but it's definitely it's it's from a fan standpoint it's frustrating to watch cuz you see some of the highly talented wingers on the team and you go man like we end with how their defense is and with the seemingly improved goaltending you go Man, he just as kind of a fan sometimes with a little bit of kind of homerish in in you, you go, man, this team could be good if we just had that one last piece. But uh, while as much as I would like that top six center, I think it's uh, more likely that they will uh, just ride this year out and go with what they have. And I also understand if you know they would rather just wait and uh, let this thing kind of just build itself up a little bit more. I I think another thing I consider with that is you, I mean, you obviously want to pounce on it, but. You want to also consider that eventually in the future you're gonna to have to play Kaprizov, Fiala, and mm-hmm. eventually Rossi. So you want to get that center, but you also want to make sure that that you know the money's right, especially with the flat cap for sure. Yeah, yeah, and I I think ultimately for the while I think that's where the complication is, especially with acquiring someone like Pierre Luc Dubois, who just got a two year extension. I think around it was like what five five and a half million, six million, something like that. Yeah, yeah, which. Right now, that's fine, but an extension, I believe, based on um, his RFA status, I believe like a minimum mm-hmm. um, for his extension is, I believe it's north of like six point one or six point two million. I think based on like how how it works with what he's what his real money is um, for average annual value has to be north of six million. And you know, there's a lot of debate on you know, are they going to try to bridge Kaprizov for one or two more years? Do you give Fiala maybe three four? Do you? spend them both at 8 million and you know depending on what you do with those what's your cap situation look like if and then you add on top of all that you add the flat cap you mm-hmm. don't know how long that's going to last and then you add the third factor on top of that which is quarantining issues if you know say they do find a way to swing a trade for Pierre-Luc Dubois is he driving in is he flying in now he's got to wait then he's got to adapt by that time it might be another 2 weeks before he's even you know settled in at which point you've played another you know if you're playing every other day, that's 10 more games, probably like there's just a lot of factors that make, I think an in-season trade, not especially outside the division tricky mm-hmm. as well. So, mm-hmm. so let's talk about a little bit about Pierre-Luc Dubois. Cause we haven't on this show yet and really given our, our thoughts. I don't think it's likely that the wild will go after him. I think for the one we just talked about the salary cap issue. And the second is they might have the assets to get him, but I'm just not sure that they want to part with him. Mm-hmm. Which sounds weird because, like, well, you should give up anything to get a top, you know, a top line center. But I think there's some pieces that they have that they want to keep. And I, I don't think you know Dumba's probably still their top trade ship off to a good start this year. I'm not sure Columbus really has much interest in him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't say for certain, but they have a pretty established, you know, top for sure top pair. Um, Gavrikov looks like he's going to be good in the second pair. So Vard's fine. Um, I don't know if Dumba really upgrades a ton over those two guys, probably a little, but uh, maybe could help their power play, which is, which is pretty porous, but I I don't see them interested in Dumba, which means now you're looking at probably one or two of your first round picks. And you're probably going to have to give up in addition to that. Someone like a Callan Addison, a Matt Boldy, a Marco Rossi or an Adam Beckman. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't think Beckman does it. It's probably one of those top three guys, which at this point I'm just like, I don't know if that's the right move. What, what do you guys think? I think, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't want to really, uh, it's hard to say, but like I wouldn't want to give up Rossi for sure because what if Rossi ends up being a better center than uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois? Right. Like, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it makes much sense. I don't think it's going to happen, like you said. I mean, he's only 22 years old, and it would be good to have him come in young and, you know, develop with our young guys. But I'm not going to go down this wormhole too much, but I'd almost wait on a center like Barkov. I know we're we're talking about Pierre Dubois, but I'd almost wait for, like, a UFA possibility where, you know, who knows if he's going to sign in Florida, and Hmm. he may not. I mean, it could even be deadline. If, if Florida knows he's not going to resign, they're going to, I guarantee you, they're going to try to get something for him because they don't want right. to let him walk. And, and given the caveat that they're not, you know, yeah. if they, you know, pull off a miracle season and Bobrovsky bounces back and they're a legit right. cup contender, but mm-hmm. they're in arguably the toughest division in the NHL. So yeah. if they're out of the playoffs and no, he's not going to resign, which you look at everything that's happened with, they got new management, there was the whole Yandel debacle. I don't see him wanting to be back there, maybe outside of, the nice little state income tax but yeah i'll be i'm a kind of just just to go back a little bit on the dubois thing i agree with you guys that's that's obviously not gonna happen with wild uh you know like like you guys said they would have to give up one of their top prospects and considering some of the other chatter that i've seen that from teams like montreal i mean they're like a guy like you know up there like guys like uh, nick suzuki asperi katkanemi have been rumored and you know you look that obviously you don't think the wilder going to ever want to at least in the immediate next year or two are going to ever even consider a guy like Fiala or anybody like him and also like you said I would be willing to give up prospect like Rossi in a situation where I knew that I could uh, keep the player I'm acquiring long term and with uh, some of the rumors that Dubois wants to go to a big bigger city I don't know if you know that's another reason that they might not even be comfortable with uh, even interested in making that trade at all as if he'd even want to stay here past two years. But uh, yeah, the, the, the ego and attitude definitely create an added wrinkle of, of uncertainty. Yeah, for sure. And, and is Minnesota does he, like I would consider Minnesota a big market? It's one of the you know the, well, for the hockey, four yeah. places that have all four sports teams, passionate mm-hmm. fan base. But is that what he perceives? You know, what's what is his perception of a big market? Is it is yeah. it Toronto, Montreal? Is it California? Is it New York? Is it Dallas? You know, mm-hmm. is it population? Is it fan? like it's? There's just so many like underlying factors to me that just make mm-hmm. you go. It's just not worth it. Right. Yeah, and I think, and I, and I don't know. I think I, you know another play. I've heard you also heard like Winnipeg too, but then I just I think because his dad's an assistant coach with the minor league team there, but you know that's an even smaller market in terms of you know sports and money and all that than even Minnesota and Columbus are. So that's never really made sense to me, but. You know, just the thing that Justin said is uh, that I kind of agree with a lot is, you know, waiting for to see in a couple of years if there are guys like Barkov or anybody else available, whether in free agency or trade, because, you know, with uh, Bill Guerin making a lot of moves for guys this year who are on one year left in their deals who, mm-hmm. you know, they can either trade or just let go. I think, uh, you know, the part of the reason that they did that is one, they, they're giving themselves that flexibility to not only just, you know, being having the room to resign their guys that they already have in house, but you know, if in a couple of years or next year or within the next two or three years, if an impact center or another impact player comes available, they could, uh, you know, have the opportunity to go out and get them kind of like uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs did when John Tavares came available or kind of like what the Wild did, you know, nine years ago with Prize and Suter when, uh, you know, those guys came available. So 
no, I, I agree with you guys. I think uh, it's it's just pr- as much as it uh, as painful it is to you know, like we said, to watch some of the centers in this team at some points uh, with trying to be forced to line up. Uh, I think patience is still uh, at least for the next year or two is still the way to go. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, go ahead, Justin. I was gonna say, like like Brett said, it's pretty damning that a twenty two year old is requesting a trade, and we don't know the I don't know the full story at least, but you. If Billy Garen's trying to change the culture, you don't want to possibly bring someone in that, you know, you know, I don't want to lay it all on Pierre-Luc Dubois. I don't know if something on Columbus's side is, is causing this, but, uh, you know, just kind of like I was listening to Russo's podcast and you want players like Kaprizov. I'm going to bring him up again, obviously. Of, you, know, <laughs> he, he, you know, he does, didn't want a flashy car because he didn't want, want to show up like around his teammates and his teammates thinking like, Oh, look, he's driving a flashy car already or anything like that. And, you know, the first thing he wanted to do when he came to the States was meet his teammates and he, he couldn't do that, but you know, you're, you're seeing the, the team player in him. Yeah. And he, even his quotes, I think he was asked about like, does he expect to score this many points? Does he expect to get the colder? Mm-hmm. And he said, whatever helps the team win. Like he's, right. he's a team mm-hmm. first guy through and through. And yeah. And I, I it's, it's hard to say that given what we're seeing, like it doesn't seem Pierre Luc Dubois seems more of the drama queen. It's all about me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and maybe he goes different mark in that changes. I don't know, but I don't want to speculate because I don't yeah. know yeah. too much about him. But yeah, so. Agreed. And as always with Michael Russo, there where there's smoke, there's fire, and he continues yeah. to kind of throw hints at Barkov. And we yeah. know we talked to Garen, so he you know maybe oh, yeah. he's not going to report you know because that they lose leverage in that area, yeah. but. I, mean, I would say as long as you see his name continue to pop up in a Russo article, that I would assume that there's still interest there at at, at some level. So right. obviously there's interest, but and like mean, we know they already tried to, you know, swing a trade with Florida once, and we know they like Matt Boldy, Fenton does. So I wouldn't I wouldn't rule that out um, as a possibility yeah. at, at this point. Mm-hmm. And like. I guess just kind of a point, just one last point on that is too, as I was uh, in kind of a discussion with a few people on Twitter, I think in the last week or so, as they were, as I was, we were talking about this whole, you know, a hypothetical Barkov situation that if he's available in a couple of years, you know, or a player of his caliber is available in a trade, uh, you know, if that the Wild may, or might have a shot at going after them. And, you know, they were going, these guys I was talking to were kind of saying, well, we don't, we don't want to just go up and give up, uh, you know, our picks or prospects. Ever. I mean, we're just finally rebuilding, uh, you know, we're finally getting there. We can't just stop. And, you know, I guess just my thought is, is that I don't think this, this is kind of getting a little off track, but uh, you know, just my opinion, I don't think uh, with some of the pieces the Wild have in place that they are that far off from uh, potentially being a contender again. And, you know, the, while I think there needs to be patience for another season or two, uh, I just, I think another kind of point that I just kind of thought of was that, you know, on with Chuck Fletcher and that regime as the GM, I think one of the issues was being a little too attached to his guys and, and the guys they draft and develop. And I think it'll be key going forward. While you don't want to give away your picks and prospects like candy, like they they had to add at times, uh, I I think it's um uh, just going to kind of be a thing in the next couple of years for a, a lot of just fans and people around. Just know that uh, you know you you have to give to get, and you know the just having prospects you know they're not all going to turn out but uh having a lot of them is good in more ways than one and they can help you even if they um, uh, aren't on your team specifically for sure all right let's do a couple more things here regarding uh the wild start um let's let, let's touch on the goaltending i you know it would it's been better this year to say the least um quick stat um combined talbot kakanen through four games 
1.24 goal saved above expected. Nothing extraordinary, but when you look at a guy like Dubnik, who throughout the course of the season last year, I think was something like, I think it was 12 goals, like a negative 12 goal saved above expected. So he was 12 goals less than what he should have. You know, you look at 1.24 over four games, you multiply that over 56 game season, you're going to be probably close to, I don't know the exact math, but it's probably close to positive 12. Just looking at a 24 goal swing, mm-hmm. you know, there alone, maybe not quite that much, but you, you guys get the gist of it. The goaltending's been what the wild leader. It's been very average. They've in general stopped the shots they should have. A couple hiccups here and there, but overall I thought it's it's looked like a big improvement. And Kakinen a little shaky last night, but I thought as the game went on, he looked more and more comfortable. And it was his first, you know, start in I think almost ten months too, on top of all that. Yeah, I was gonna bring that up. I was gonna <laughs> I knew you were gonna say it, but the fact that he hasn't played in months is you know, he looked pretty good for not not starting since since he played in Iowa. As far as I as far as I know, <laughs> yeah, and I mean I think uh, what Brett said is kind of key is that it's you know the the wild pretty much just needed to be kind of average and you know they don't you I mean you obviously you would like it if both those guys could be you know even better than that and be great or really good but uh, you know at, at this point uh, like you guys said they don't need much more than that and I thought uh, Cam Talbot his first couple games was you know he was just fine I mean there was some some concerns that I had about his kind of rebound control. He's seeming to be, you know, spitting up a lot of pucks kind of into the slot, into the higher kind of dangerous scoring areas off shots. But, you know, in that third game against Anaheim, even though they lost, he was made a bunch of, a couple of breakaway saves, a bunch of point blank, one and all saves, and was very doing a very good job at swallowing up the rebound. So, uh, you know, like you guys said, not fantastic, but uh, if he keeps playing kind of how he has the first games, uh, the goaltending is definitely not going to be the the main problem, I don't think, for them this year. No, and I think the, the more you, you play, the better they're going to get. And like you said, yeah. in that, that third game when we lost, the pucks were like basically sticking to Talbot as opposed to the first two where yeah. you know, maybe give up some of these, these bigger rebounds and uh, give the other team more chances. But, you know, mm-hmm. he, he gave us a chance to win that game, you know. It was just John Gibson was a little bit more more on fire than he was that game. John Gibson had a three point seven goal save <laughs> above expected that game, which yeah. for those not familiar with the stat, it's it's pretty self explanatory. The Wild, by all advanced metrics, should have scored at least three goals, maybe even four against John Gibson, but mm-hmm. Gibson just did John Gibson things and yeah. said no. Um, right. I mean, like the Wilds play driving numbers and everything were pretty much just through the roof that first game against Anaheim. And Zeke, you said it off the hop of the show, that's probably the best game they've played all season and it's their one loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Like when we, I think when you look at holistic effort all three periods, I, I agree. I, my, I said the same thing to my dad on uh, whatever that was Saturday. I said, I think that was the best game they played all year and they lost. Yeah. But that's, mm-hmm. that's the way hockey goes sometimes. And if anyone can steal a game single-handedly, it's, it's a goalie. So. Right. Uh, and then I think we've touched probably enough on slow starts and stuff. I think Fiala, we've basically narrowed down just maybe a, yeah. a a line change. And Jared Spurgeon has been off to a slow start as well, no points. But you know, his on what he's doing on the ice to me doesn't seem like it's alarming by any means. Um, I think it's I think it's more just for both of them. If anything, I think it's just kind of a string of bad luck and a little bit of snake bitten. And once. Once they get going, once the power play gets going, it's amazing to me that they have just have the one goal. But yeah, it is. Um, I, I think those guys will be fine. I'm not. I'm not worried. Agreed. Right. And I think uh, kind of on Fiala too. I think I saw a tweet earlier with a stat that said he um uh, 
I think is either very close or has the most shots in the league out of any player without a goal. So uh, just, just, you know, keep, keep shooting the puck. And if you can keep skating as fast as he does, and, you know, as long as the only thing I would say is as long as he doesn't get frustrated as he showed at times in the past, which we haven't seen yet, but uh, as long as he doesn't get frustrated and start to, you know, starting to cheat and do kind of uh, undisciplined things, I think he'll be just fine. Despite the, you know, the, obviously the, the stats at this point aren't too great, but uh, yeah, I think he's like, agree. He'll be fine. You know, he's got 19 shots through four games, and that's that was just had one last night in a game where he clearly just he didn't have a he did not have a, gr- a great game last night. No. He, he struggled, no. but it's gonna happen. Your your good players have bad nights. It happens, but yeah, I mean, it everything else like checks out. All those other numbers look good. He's he's doing the right things. It's just the goals aren't coming, and I think I think it's gonna be one of those things. Once he pops one in, mm-hmm. he's he's gonna go on a tear. You know mm-hmm. what his start kind of reminds me of. Matthew Boldy's start last year in the first half of his college yeah. season. Yeah, that's actually a really good comparison. Like, he was getting all these chances, all these shots, the points weren't coming, and then, you know, just a little bit of a line change, play with new hook, and he blows up and continues to do so with the first half of this season. Yeah, and I think Kevin's already got a couple posts as well and stuff, so. Mm-hmm. Well, We'll see. I'm crossing my fingers for just a different look at the lines because at this point, what's it going to hurt when you have seven third liners? Someone's got to play up. Someone's mm-hmm. got to play down. It's the way it goes. Um, one more player I just want to talk briefly about that's really impressed me, especially the last two games, is is Nico Sturm. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of had a quiet first two games, but the last two games, at least to me, he's been really noticeable. He's got a, actually some like deceptively sneaky speed. Um, he has nine shots on goal the last two games. Um, his expected goals for the last two games, 83 and 74% respectively, really good. He's been one of the Wilds' better forwards of the last two games. And I think Cam Hartman and Bukes that are really gelling on that fourth line. Again, your third and fourth line can't can be your best lines every night, so there got to be changes. But right. I had high expectation Nico Sturm, and as of now he's living up to him. I think he's going to be just a really good – I believe he belongs in the bottom six. I don't think they should elevate him by any means, but he's going to just be, I think, a really good third, fourth line guy for the Wild for, for many years. That's just going to just does the right things. I, I really like what I've seen out of him so far. Yeah, I agree. And you know, eventually when we become a contender and hopefully a Stanley Cup team, you need those those role players and those those bottom six lines like him that make an impact like he has. I mean, he hasn't picked up points, but like you said, he got the the, sh- the shots on goal and he looks deceptively fast and. You know, just it seems like his his board play is pretty good and just causing turnovers and stuff. He he's been uh, pretty fun to watch so far. I'm I'm really glad he got a, a shot in the lineup this year. Yeah, and I think uh, you know the other key thing about him too is that he's versatile. Now he can play uh, both uh, center and wing on yeah. in the bottom six there too. So that obviously just uh, even helps him even more to his uh, ability to be a consistent player in the initial lineup. And like you guys said, he's not, he's not, I wouldn't, you know, he doesn't have no talent or whatever offensively. I think that once he is playing full, he will, you know, get a few points here and there and it's not terrible that way. But I mean, obviously like, like Justin just said, uh, you do need those, those kind of role players in that bottom six. And uh, for a guy that they didn't have to use draft pick on and they signed out of college uh, as mm-hmm. a free agent, which, you know, there's some good players that come out of college, uh, out of colleges, free agents at 23 or 24, but not a lot of them are, you know, uh, everyday NHLers, uh, you know, for a long time. And it seems like uh, Wild have found a good one in there. Definitely. All right. Last little bit here on the Wild uh, before we uh, before we move on to our uh, final segment of the show, our new segment, 
Um, let's talk about Matt Zuccarello, who, uh, per Michael Russo, I saw a tweet today, at the earliest could be back near the end of this homestand here, which I don't even, I mean, I know they're at least at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. I think it might even go uh, uh, beyond that here. Let me check the I schedule think they play, here. I think they play Colorado twice. Okay, yeah, so it is just at the end of the month. So could be back for that Colorado series. Let's assume he, he's, you know, on schedule, kind of meets that end of, the, uh, the timeline there and does come back, you know, and his homestand, who do you think at this point would you take out to put Zuccarello into the lineup? For me, there's a pretty obvious answer based on what we've seen, but who is it for you guys? Well, I think for me, and I don't know, I guess, again, there's, there's like a lot of guys in this plates at center, but I think for me, it would be Victor Rask. Like oh. for, you know, for all the reasons we uh, talked about uh, kind of earlier already. And, uh, I know we'll get into the sec, but uh, I think it's just going to be interesting to see who he plays with, and not only does who does who he bumps out of the lineup, but who he kind of moves around, and you know potentially guys having to play uh, on you know kind of on different sides of the ice on different wings and all that. So uh, it's it's definitely going to be kind of interesting to see how he fits on the team. It it might be a little awkward too. I think like I don't know. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, sorry. Oh, I just said I just didn't know if I was. We should get into this yet, but like, I guess my main concern. I mean, I'm. I think it's gonna be good that Zuccarello's coming back. I mean, obviously, the Wild are paying him six million dollars for the next four years, so you want him uh, to be in the lineup and having a chance to rebound and produce. And I think he will definitely add a little more talent to their team and and could have an impact on that second power plane and add a little more skill. But uh, my main concern is kind of since he's another guy who shoots left but plays on his off wing on the right side is like, where does that bump a guy, you know, like we don't know, like Kirill Kaprizov. Now I know he can, they've said he can play left wing. I know he has before, but I guess I'm just a little bit concerned from that standpoint that, Zuccarello back to the lineup is going to mess, you know, mess with the lines a little bit. And I know there's not a lot of chemistry, but I don't know. I guess I, it's, man, I, I just can't get over how bad of a signing that was. Like, yeah. Sorry. I'd, rambling. I'd, no, you, I think I'd have to agree with the Victor Rask thing initially because, you know, plus he was a healthy scratch quite frequently last year, but I think it also gives you flexibility to put guys in another you know, lineup that are maybe have, off games that maybe need to see the booth for a game or two. It's, mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know. I, I just initially rasp, but it, it does give you that flexibility. Yeah. I'm, I'm just kind of like trying to like think of what I think the lines could look like here. Um, if you were to come back for, for me, it's also rask. Um, and th- this is kind of what I come up with. Um, just off the top of my head, what I think kind of makes sense. Um, and I think there's maybe like a couple switches that could happen here, but I think actually I'm going to switch that right now. Cause I think just it's against what I want to happen, but I think it's what will happen. <laughs> um, hang on. A little bit of line tinkering on the sound of the foghorn. Yep. All right. <laughs> uh, all right, so here's what I think happens. I think he comes back, and then I think we see it's a slight jumble in the top six. Um, I think we see a, I think we see the an experiment of Kaprizov, Johansson, Zuccarello. That's was kind of long, mm-hmm. you know, speculated in the off season. But I think Parisi gets reunited with Fiala, and I think they stick Benino there. And then the third line, because they refuse to change it as of now, would still be Greenway, Ekfalino, 
And then I think your fourth line is Sturm, Bukestad, Hartman. Um, I originally had Bukestad centering Kaprizov and Zuccarello, but I don't know if they go back to that um, or not. And then, so I, that's kind of what I see happening. Um, and then if Johansson doesn't work at center, it could be, they could make, maybe they try Greenway there. Maybe they throw Eck there. Maybe it's Bukestad. I, I don't, the, the way Sturm's been deployed minutes wise, he's, I think he's lowest on the team right now in minutes per game. I don't think that he'll get in the top six this year. I don't mm-hmm. expect that to happen, but he, it could if he keeps up good playing, mm-hmm. but that's right. kind of what I would expect. Um, I don't, Johansson has been less than impressive to me. I don't think he's a top six forward right now, mm-hmm. but um, he's got to play somewhere, I guess. So, and he is, you know, he, he's a Garen guy that he went out and acquired. So I think he's going to get the ice time, but we'll see. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What I'm expecting. So I, I just think, uh, you know, the biggest thing is considering uh, that there's between, aside from their top coat players, there's not a ton of separation in terms of uh, skill or talent level between a lot of the wilds forwards. So, you know, I think uh, you'll see just a probably a lot of different combinations, uh, whether that switched uh, game to game or in game or sh- shift after shift. A lot of times, I think you could just see a lot of changing. But uh, I just, you know, as like I said earlier, as much as you know the contract, there's the situation and the potentially uh, space that Zuccarello is taking up from some of the younger players in the team. I think uh, it's assuming he's, you know, as we've heard out this off season, he did have surgery on I think on his hand or his arm or something. So. You know, if that was holding him back next year and if he's healthy and ready to go uh, coming to this season, I think it uh, could definitely be a a, you know, a good positive add to add here a couple of weeks into the season for the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, I know he didn't wow last year, but his underlying numbers weren't terrible. Mm-hmm. Like, still, like all of his numbers suggest he's still the top line four. I think a lot of like the frustration just comes from, at least for me, it's just like just picturing him standing on the left half on the power play stick handling yeah not doing anything like beyond that like i can't really think of anything it's like ah that was a bad play like it just for Mm -hmm. me like there's like one instance where i see him doing that and i think that really kind of skewed our views a little bit um but i i think it'll be welcome to have him back um because it's going to get someone who shouldn't be in the top six out of the top six yep and he's the type of player that's been good at beating scores and like if if the lines go how how you drew them up then you got someone that, that can get Caprice off the puck that maybe, you know, he's going to draw a lot of attention because of his, his elite talent, but you'll have a guy that can, you know, get on the puck. For sure. All right. Well, we are going to unveil now a new segment that we will um, be rolling out weekly. It is going to be the State of Hockey Pro of the Week and the State of Hockey Amateur of the week, and here's how it works. Uh, the three of us have each selected a player, a pro. So what we mean by pro is basically an NHL player, um, someone playing in the NHL that we identified um, as the player of the week. And it's, to qualify, they have to be affiliated with Minnesota in some way. So it means that um, for the purpose of pro hockey, it could be a wild player or it's someone that's from here, basically. That's kind of the stipulation for the pro. And then on the amateur side, it's all AHL players and everything beyond down to draft eligible players, which basically means the low end of the spectrum would be an 18-year-old Minnesota high school player. Um, and this can the affiliation here gets a little bit broader, so they can either currently play in Minnesota, so say they could play at a, they could be from Canada, but if they're playing for you know Duluth or Mankato or whoever, they qualify. Um, they were drafted 
by the Minnesota Wilds. That opens up to all the wild prospects um, or just simply straightforward. They're from Minnesota in some way. So that's a stipulation. So we're going to each week, we're just going to identify. Um, and we've called this the state of hockey pro of the week, because I think state of hockey gets lost in a lot of fan bases in who the wild don't have any cups. And I think oh it, that's not what it's about. It's about hockey that, you know, it's about the player development. It's about the culture here. So we figured it'd be a cool way to highlight um, some players. So, uh, Zeke, let's go to you first for your uh, State of Hockey Pro of the Week. Tell us who it is, who they play for, what they did, and and, and why they were your pick. Yeah, so uh, my pick for the Pro of the Week this week is not necessarily, uh, this might be bending the rules a bit, it's not necessarily because of their performance. In fact, he hasn't even played a game yet. But for my uh, State of Hockey Pro of the Week, I'm going to go with uh, goaltender Hunter Miska, who is making his uh, first NHL start tonight uh, for the Colorado Avalanche. In about a couple, about five minutes here uh, against the LA Kings, uh, he's he played at North Branch High School and is from uh, native of Stacy, Minnesota. So another Minnesota kid. He was born here. He you know played his hockey in the U.S. National Team Development Program in the BCHL, USHL, and then obviously, as me and Justin uh, obviously know the most probably here is that he spent the 2016-2017 season at the University of Minnesota Duluth uh, for the Bulldogs and led the team to the national championship game that year. And so I yeah. uh, just wanted to give him kind of a shout out. Uh, he's his first couple of years in the AHL weren't too great, but he had a very good uh, season last year down with the Colorado Eagles there and uh, earned a spot on their bubble roster up in Canada this year. So uh, just going to shout out uh, good for him on getting his first NHL start. And he gets played for Colorado, which means he's probably going to be a star. So, cause that's just how yeah. it works with the Avalanche. Oh right gosh. <laughs> Ugh, Avalanche. But playing behind that defense too, I mean, with with the additions they've made, um, superstar Devon Hayes, our guy on the Sound the Foghorn fantasy oh. team. Which, hey, if you didn't see, I don't think um, we haven't talked about this. You may have saw it on Twitter, but we managed to win our uh, fantasy hockey matchup in our uh, Wild Podcast League by a tenth of a point yeah. <laughs> uh, last week uh, over uh, the guys that um, was it was it Gone Puck Wild that we beat? Yeah. Yeah, at Conpuck uh, Wild, and Zeke made a last-second roster edition of Dylan Strom, who had two shots on goal, which led us <laughs> to point two points. So his last-second edition of of Dylan Strom uh, really helped us over the edge there. Um, how how are we doing this week, guys? Are we? I, I, I think we're, last, we're behind again. Last time I checked, we were down by like thirty-five. So okay, we well, so and tonight. We need like ten points from them. Nathan McKinnon. They're basically yeah. carrying our team. It's the Avalanche. Yeah, we're in a grind this week. We're down by forty-one points to the soda pod. But, uh, I, this, I think, this is pretty much right where we were last week, though, too, weren't we? Yeah, I mean, we were almost forty points down on Thursday. We had, yeah, I mean, we had more time to catch up, but we were we were getting smashed last week too in the beginning. Yeah, we're, we're like the wild. We're we're, we're a third period fantasy team. Yeah, right. Yeah. Coming in very much. <laughs> All right, so Hunter Miska, goalie for the Colorado Avalanche, Zeke's State of Hockey Pro of the Week. Uh, Justin, who is yours? Um, mine's going to be a Burnsville native, uh, Brock Besser. He has uh, a very good start to the season for Vancouver. You know, he's picked up four goals and one assist in the five games they've played. And, you know, he's in the game against uh, Edmonton on the 13th. He scored the game-winning goal with a two-goal game, and then he had a two-goal game against Montreal and scored the game-tying goal before they – I believe they ended up winning in overtime. But, uh, yeah, he's he's made a, a big impact for the Canucks so far this season. And, you know, that, that's just – he's playing well. Yeah, big part of that uh, Canucks top line, which 
um, by all accounts, is probably a top five line in the league and just, you know, hoping for a full bill of health for him this year because that's kind of been his uh, struggle early on. But good to see him off to a hot start. We love to see our Minnesota boys doing well. Uh, We're going to go three for three here with uh, players not on the wild but from Minnesota. My pro of the week is Justin Hall of uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, right defenseman, uh, plays on their second pair uh, alongside Jake Muzzin. Uh, four assists in his five in through five games so far. Three of those uh, primary assists. He's a uh, Tonka Bay, Minnesota, uh, Minnetonka High School, back drafted back in 2010 uh, by Boo the Blackhawks, uh, but now plays for Toronto. Um, and he has an average game score right now of 1.30, which is 12th among all NHL defenders who've played at least three games. So off to a hot start for them. Uh, he, he seems to be like all over my Twitter feed. I, for some reason, now have a ton of Toronto fans that I follow for some unknown reason. Yeah. And they, they seem to like our Minnesota boy, Justin Hall there. Uh, so just wanted to give him uh, a little shout out. Good start to him uh, for him. Hopefully he can, probably won't keep it going at uh, nearly a point per game pace, but I uh, love to highlight those, uh, those hot starts. So also with Besser, he helped lead our comeback last week. He's on our fantasy team. So hey, oh, yeah. even better. Bravo. Sweet. All right. So those are pros of the week. Justin Hall from the Toronto Maple Leafs, Hunter Miska, Colorado Avalanche, and then a uh, Brock Besser from the Vancouver Canucks. Now we move on to our amateur of the week. Um, good chance here. You'll hear some names we highlighted earlier uh, during the prospect segment. I will start this time uh, around. I picked Philip Johansson, defenseman for Falunda Hockey Club in the SHL. Um, Justin listed off a lot of his stats, eight points in the last 11 games, um, which in his last 10 games, he has more points than he did all of last year. And this is the most points he has in a season uh, since he had 11 points in 10 games uh, for Lexens in the Allsvenskan. That was an 18 under leagues, like against his own age. So like this is an offensive explosion uh, by all accounts, for uh, the former 24th overall pick uh, of the Wild. So we, we hope it's it's a sign of things to come. He could just be a late bloomer. He, I think he's, what, still 20? Like, he's yeah. still young, you know, maybe just finding his game, getting that confidence. And uh, right. like we said earlier, we want him to succeed. We don't want him to be a bust. Um, yeah. a, a compensatory pick isn't what he isn't what we want him to be. We want him to be, even if you make it to the AHL, I, I, that would be, you know, okay for me. I just... Mm-hmm. I want to see him succeed because okay. from what I can tell, there hasn't been a whole lot of coverage, but it seemed like he's a really hard worker. He, you know, feels the pressure that he was a first round pick and maybe hasn't lived up to the hype, but by all accounts, he sounds like he's just a, just a good kid and a hard worker and a kid that you want to root for, like no ego issues or anything. He's, so he's right. a guy you want to root for. Yeah. Tony Abbott wrote a really good story about him on the 10 K rank uh, page. So if you guys haven't checked that out. You should check it out. It, you know, it kind of, kind of mm-hmm. plays. Yep, I have that one in Russo's most recent one queued up to read uh, right after we jump off here. So looking forward to checking that out. All right, uh, let's see. Uh, Justin, you went first. Zeke went second. So Zeke, we'll go to you next here for your amateur of the week. Okay, so I guess for uh, my Minnesota amateur or state of hockey amateur of the week, I'm going to go with uh, Nikita Nestorenko playing out at Boston College. Uh, he was originally a sixth-round pick, 172nd overall in 2019. Uh, I think, you know, kind of the, you know, if you look back at his production, obviously in, in a lot of different high school prep leagues out of East New Jersey in that area, uh, he, had a, he had good last year when he was drafted, but, you know, nothing that 
you know, mostly that's probably just context. I don't, he was kind of a little bit of an unknown to us, but he had a really good last year, uh, season last year in the BCHL where he put up 56 points, 56 games as a, is kind of, I think like a 17 year old for most of the season. So he's a, still a really young player, uh, still uh, kind of a longer term project, but he's having a great start to his freshman season at BC with 10 points, uh, five goals, five assists in 10 games. So he's producing uh, right at the point per game mark out in BC in his first year. So I, I think it's uh, just really encouraging to see uh that you know that kind of raw like skill and potential that he has just kind of starting to show itself uh that as that high of a pace and his first season in college and you know like i said he's he's a bit of a longer term project because i think uh just like from the sundays mentioned he's a little bit raw but uh to see that uh, skill uh, show off right away uh, to start out his college career is a very encouraging sign for a guy who is still very young and also a guy that uh, was picked in the sixth round so Yep, and as we've said many times on this show, if you get basically a player in the fourth round or later and they make it to the AHL, it's a win. And if they get to the NHL, it's a steal. So mm-hmm. definitely promising. Yeah, I actually watched one of BC's games against uh, Merrimack last weekend. And, you know, of course, Baldy, I'm, I'm looking for these guys anyways because they're ours. But uh, I felt like Nestranko was one of the more noticeable players on BC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like a, all all the wild guys in BC are doing great. Boldy, McBain, Nestorenko, um, Marshall Warren Marshall isn't Warren. the offensive type, but I haven't really heard any bad things about him so no. far. So, yes, all good. All right, and last but not least, Justin, uh, your amateur of the week. I'm gonna go with uh, Vladislav first off. We kind of already touched him in the beginning of the show, but you know, he had a really good weekend last week against New Hampshire. You know, ended up. I believe it was third on in scoring on the team last year, and, and you know after not getting much ice time in the World Juniors, it's good to see him pick up a five point weekend. Um, I, you know it was discouraging to see him not get time at the World Juniors. We kind of already touched that on on a previous show, but to see him kind of pick up where he left off with UConn is is really good. Yeah, and I think it just hammers home the point too. Don't overreact to the World Juniors. So yeah, a five yeah. game sample is not worth about what a player can do over the season. And I think I think with first off, we especially you know hit hard on completely different system. He had to do some different quarantining. He was playing one from an NCA style to this old Russian style. There was a lot to adapt to in a short amount of time. So I, I think it was more of the outlier than than the norm for him and. Um, Scott Wheeler is in the process of putting out his prospect rankings. I think he's through like 22 going, counting off from 31 wild. Haven't been in there yet. So that's a good sign. Mm-hmm. Um, before we sign off, where do you guys think, um, the wild come in and in, in his rankings? I think last year we came in, I want to say it was like 14 or 15. Yeah. Sounds um, right. prior to most recent draft. I don't know if he'll include Kaprizov or not. Let, let's say for the purpose of, I believe I've seen him including any players that are playing. Um, I, don't, I may just be using an age limit. So let's say Kaprizov is included. Uh, wh- wh- where do you think they rank among um, prospect pools right now? If you, if you had to maybe just throw out a number quick. Uh, off the top of my head, I'm trying to think. The Rangers have a really good prospect pool. The Kings do. The Senators do. Ducks, <sighs> I think, are up there for me. Yeah. I would say right in that like five to seven range is probably where I would throw them. Yeah, I was gonna say around seven or so, as long as you know they can include Kaprizov. If Kaprizov isn't, I think I maybe put him maybe down around like the ten. 10 maybe. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Agree. Yeah, uh, it's it's yeah, it's just encouraging to see them uh, consistently ranked higher in a lot of these lists. And I mean, I've seen some that have had them 
I, while I don't agree with this, that some have ranked them as high as like kind of four or five in the league. But the ESPN one, I believe they had them at four. Yeah, which no, is no, I think it was at three actually. Yeah, which is uh, I think it was behind know, just the Rangers and the Kings. Yeah, they had the Wild at three. Yeah, which I think was a is I think is a little bit high, but I mean you know. Uh, again, then again, we don't know a ton about a lot of these prospects until they uh, continue to develop and make it to the pros. But uh, no, it's just uh, encouraging to be back in that kind of top half and top 10 in a lot of uh, kind of expert opinions' minds after pretty much six, seven years, pretty much in the bottom. All right. For sure. All right. Well, for oh, we just barely missed going back to back weeks under an hour, just barely over Ooh. today. But hey, we Probably kept it pretty close. So proud of uh, us for that. Uh, guys, any parting thoughts or uh, b- before we sign off um, with the Wilds' the next couple games coming up against a uh, San Jose? So we probably get to see Devin Dubnik again, uh, the Kings once again, and uh, wrapping up uh, with the Avalanche. Well, um, looking. Forward. Oh, so you go ahead, Justin. Oh, sorry. I was say just looking forward to seeing uh, Dubnik and Donato again, and uh, hopefully come out with a couple more wins here. Yeah, and I guess uh, for me, it's just. Uh... Well, I mean, like, so, like Justin said, uh, it'll be interesting to see how Dubnik plays, and I'm assuming he'll get one of the games. But uh, knowing that the Wilds luck in the past, Minnesota sports teams, he'll probably make like a 45-50 save shutout and have the best game of his life. Uh, <laughs> you know, just kidding. But I, I don't think, I don't think any of us could say we'd be shocked by that. But uh, no, just my last kind of final thought is that uh, you know, I think that uh, on Russo's Twitter last night, he in the post game presser. Uh, he was asking Evison a question about, I think it was about Eric Sinek, and Evison said, well, Mike Russo told us we need a net front presence on our power play, so that's what we did. <laughs> <Yeah>. And <laughs> aside from that being funny, I just have to say, now, uh, no one, they, they're not listening to it, but Dean, please put you Eric Sinek as a first-line center for a game. Put him with Kaprizov for one game. Just I know you don't want to break up your third line. Just, just give it a try. Like Brett said, just try it once. If it doesn't work too well for a game or two, or even for like half the game, you can move it back. But please, just try it. The... He's looked like we talked about earlier. X has looked so good, and we just want to see him get at least just one shot up there in his career. Just one. That's absolutely. All. And speaking of that, I did make a note. Um, I believe Erickson X um, game score um, among players with three or more games in the NHL right now, I believe he's like 12th among all players. Yeah. yeah and he's good. playing 15 minutes a night. So just sure. throwing it out there. Jewel Erickson X, give him a shot. Yeah, I do, I do want to say one thing, too. I love Everson's quote when he was asked about Fiala and Parisi not having any points, and he came back yeah. and they yep. had six points. Yep. That is one of the best quotes I've seen out of one of our coaches. It was it was great. Um, you know, we, one thing we didn't talk – okay, we're, we're going to go a couple more minutes because this is right. one thing we didn't talk about. Um, the Wild made a trade this week. Um, oh, yeah. Probably should have been one of the first things we talked about, but – it was just kind of such of a, like a eh, okay whatever trade. Um, they moved Greg Patteron, the meme god, um, Greg as he's known um, on, on, on especially hockey Instagram. If you're there, um, Greg is loved by. I don't know why I haven't I don't know the origins, but he's this big meme that like everyone loves Greg Patteron. Um, and they got Ian Cole uh, from the Colorado Avalanche, who um, won two cups with Pittsburgh. So Garen Smear with them, another Garen guy, but. Overall, I thought it was a really good trade. I think like the Wild got the best player, but the financial implications made it also make sense for the Avalanche who want to play Bowen Byram. I thought it was a great trade. The fact that we got to have him play right away was nice as well, and I thought he looked really good in his first game last night, and the numbers that he pr- produced backed it up. Quick thoughts before we sign off on uh, Ian Cole and the Greg Pattern trade. 
they're a good trade, I think. Um, he'll he'll bring that veteran presence, like you said, has Stanley Cup cred, and you know, maybe a guy that anchors the the bottom six. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think I have much more to add. I mean, aside from you know, people were going, oh, so they took on more salary just to get another bottom pair defenseman. But I, you know, while Ian Cole is not certainly not a, a skilled offensive player, and he's not going to be relying on the offense, I think he does bring a little bit more of that ability and ability to move the puck than Greg Pattern did. The, and like Brett said, uh, him and Susie really good together. So, mm-hmm. uh, and he's also a guy who, with one year left on his contract, they could just let uh, walk in the season or could also flip as kind of a veteran defenseman to a playoff team at the trade down if need be too. So, uh, you know, I just, it was just, the trade is just, it's just good. It's fine. You know, nothing right. special. And one thing I pondered last night briefly too was, say he does, like if he plays every game like he did last night, which obviously he won't, that he just that's not going to yeah. happen. But if he does consistently just prove he's a good bottom pair guy, and if the expansion draft goes, I think the way most of us are expecting and that, you know, the likely player we're going to lose is Carson Soucy. Um, mm-hmm. if that's what we think. I think he might, he could be a guy that maybe just offer maybe a one more year deal um, for at a relatively cheap cap. But if things work out, he's got respect for Garen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that's another possibility. If, if they don't do what you said and flip him again, um, I think that was the other kind of hidden thing out of this is he definitely, I think in my mind has more trade value, at least now than, than Patteron does. Absolutely. Um, and if he I continues agree. to prove he could be just, he's another, adds to a list of, I think we take Felino off that list now, but I think it's five players on expiring deals that they could potentially move. So, or they could bring back. And right. I think he, I think he's a candidate that, of a guy that could be brought back um, to fill in on that, you know, that, that third pair, maybe with a guy like next year, like Callan Addison or a Brennan Manel, um, just a responsible shutdown guy that could play with a more mobile and experienced right-handed shot rookie. Mm-hmm. Guy, so. Okay. All right. Couple last minute thoughts there. Only went six session minutes. No big deal, uh, guys. Uh, Zeke, uh, remind everyone here before we sign off uh, where they can find uh, you and your work. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at zbwildnation underscore hw, and you can also find all my writing and other work at hockeywilderness dot com and also at miniice dot com. And Justin, what about you? Um, at the D East two thousand four. I'm at Caprisov C with Caprisov Countdown. And I'm at MNW Prospects with Wild Prospects and Young Players with, with the team over there. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at B underscore Marsh 92. Be sure you're following the podcast account, which shout out to everyone who follows us. We recently hit 500. Um, pretty exciting there. We're halfway to 1,000. And uh, we've just seen awesome engagement from all of you throughout the games. We appreciate it so much. Um, Zeke will have the next game up on the dock for us uh, tomorrow night. So we're just rotating through who's running that account. So uh, keep giving us love there. Keep interacting. We appreciate you. We try to get back to everyone the best we can. Uh, also on Instagram, at Sound the Foghorn. Lots of breakdowns there, sharing the good news about the Wild. But that'll do it. Next up on tap for the Wild, San Jose. We get a 7 o'clock start tomorrow. Uh, no late game. We're at 7 o'clock at the end of the month. That's exciting. But that'll do it for today's show. This has been another episode of... Sound the fire.